Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's get our Bibles opened up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read some verses right there in the middle of the chapter that will get us going this morning. Lots of Bible for these next few minutes. And so let's all be looking together in the Word of God as we work in the Scriptures for these next few minutes. It is great to see everybody today. So glad that you've chosen to be with us, especially if you are uh, a guest in our midst. We're just really appreciative that you are here. We are about the business today of serving and honoring and praising and thanking and reverencing our great God. We've done that through song and through prayer, and we want to continue that even now as we listen to God as He speaks to us through His Word. I'm reading here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Read with me beginning in verse number 9. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and in verse 9, the Apostle Paul says that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, we've certainly heard a lot about fake news during the past year, haven't we? In fact, that term fake news has become such a regular part of the lexicon that Collins Dictionary recently announced that fake news is their word of the year for 2017. Fake news... President Trump sells Alaska back to Russia. Fake news. Hurricane Irma now contains sharks. Fake news. Woman arrested for training squirrels to attack her ex-boyfriend. Fake news. Kentucky men's basketball barely squeaks by a 3-5 and five team. Hold on, actually, that actually is not fake news. That actually is true. But all the rest of those stories... Those are fake. Yet that kind of news circulated widely in the past year. And social media and other even mainstream news outlets. And unfortunately, people believe these stories many times. And they end up shaping public opinion and even influencing personal belief. In fact, that proliferation of fake news, that's really what prompted Time Magazine to run their cover story back in April of this year in which they asked the question, is truth dead? Is that the case? Is truth dead? Certainly seems that way in our society. But for Christians, for Christians, the truth can never be dead. The truth is so important to who we are and what we do that Jesus Christ said He is the very embodiment of truth. He said, I am the truth and the way and the life, John 14, 6. And in fact, our text that we just read here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that when people give up on the truth, all that is then left is for Satan to deceive people in every possible way and cause them to be lost. When we give up on the truth, then all that we have left and all that awaits us is deception and darkness and ultimately death. Yet I am afraid that even as I say that, I am afraid that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it is happening all around us today and not just in the fake news sphere. In the religious world today, 
People are electing to replace the objective truth of Scripture with their own ideas, with their own blend and synthesis of Christianity, or at least what they would call Christianity. It's a little bit of New Testament. It's a little bit of modern day philosophy. It's a little bit of New Age spirituality. And it's a whole lot of what they are comfortable believing. What do we say about that? What do we do about that? In an age when people are content to embrace the fake and the false, what are Christians to do? What is my obligation to truth as a child of God? Well, this morning I want to talk about that for these next few minutes. I want to talk about our fight to protect and preserve and defend the truth. In many ways, this is just about as fundamental as it gets. What is my relationship to the truth? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, it is not enough for you and I to simply say, well, I believe the truth. No, that's not enough. Fighting for truth demands more of us. And this morning, I want to break that out. I want to break that out into three truths, pun intended, concerning my obligation, concerning your obligation to the truth. And of course, where exactly does that need to start when we're talking about fighting for the truth? Well, I think many of us would probably be inclined to say, well, where that needs to start is, that needs to start by knowing the truth. It all starts by me knowing about the truth of the gospel. But actually, I want to suggest to you this morning that there's something that needs to come before knowing the truth. Would you look here in our text again? Look in 2 Thessalonians 2. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Notice this. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. I want to suggest to you this morning that the entry point for knowing the truth is whenever I have a love for the truth. My desire to read and to study and to know and then to live out the truth of God's Word, it is all first predicated on my love for truth. Can I illustrate that for you? I am not doing a whole lot of heavy reading on how to have a beautiful manicured lawn. I don't do that. I don't spend lots of times reading the home and garden books and how to have just the most pristine yard. You want to know why I don't read those books? It's because I don't care. I don't like yard work. I don't love yard work. In fact, I hate yard work. However, on the other hand, I love, I love basketball. I love college basketball, love professional basketball. I watch it. I read about it. I follow it. I stay up to date with all the latest information on all of that stuff. I can't tell you if my lawnmower at home, if it even functions, but I can tell you how the Washington Wizards are doing this season. They're currently sitting at 7th in the Eastern Conference with a 12-10 and 10 record. Not doing so great right now. I know that kind of stuff. Why? Because I love basketball. And so what you and I need to be asking ourselves right now is, is, Do I love the truth? Do I love the truth as much as I love basketball or whatever other particular interest you might have? In fact, do I love the truth even more than those things? Because love for the truth, that is the driving force, that is the engine behind everything else that we will ever do with the truth. And I would have you to notice again, look at the text again, look at verse 10. When it says there that there are people who refuse to love the truth. Do you understand what that means? 
That means that there is a choice involved. Here are some people who could have loved the truth, but they chose not to do that. Which means that you and I, we have to make a choice. We have to make the conscious, deliberate decision to love God's truth. And I'll go ahead and tell you, that's not always an easy decision, is it? And why not? Well, the reason that's not always an easy decision is because the truth The truth makes demands upon us. The truth requires us to see ourselves as we really are, as sinners. The truth calls upon us to make changes in our lives. The truth demands that we obey the truth. And that's oftentimes where the rub starts to come in. Whenever we are presented with the hard truth, the hard reality of who we are and what it is that God expects of each and every one of us, that's kind of where that friction starts to happen and people start substituting in all kinds of other things. I'm going to sub in my personal beliefs. I'm going to sub in my emotional experiences instead of just relying upon the reality of Scripture. In short, people today, they want the fake truth. Why? Because they want to love what they believe instead of loving the truth that can save them. Would you step out of the New Testament for just a moment? Would you look in the Old Testament? Look in Genesis 39, please. In Genesis 39, Thessalonians just got done talking to us about some people who did not love the truth. But in Genesis 39, I want to show you someone who did love the truth. In Genesis chapter 39, this is the story of Joseph. You know it well. He's been sold into slavery. And he finds himself in the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife has started to make passes at him. Notice Joseph's response to that in Genesis 39, beginning in verse 7. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put me, he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do you see in Joseph's response all the emphasis on truth there? Joseph says, the truth is, you're married, lady. The truth is, this would be wicked. The truth is, this is sinful what you are wanting to do. Joseph is a lover of truth. Now, I want to have you call special attention to that phrase at the end of verse 9 there. When he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The reason Joseph loves truth, follow me here. The reason Joseph loves truth is because Joseph loves God. Who said that it was wicked? Who said that it was wrong? Whose truth said that it was sinful? God's truth. If you love the truth, you will love the Lord. If you love the Lord, you will love the truth. Those things just work together, don't they? In fact, let me add one more verse in this connection. Go back to the New Testament in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, in describing the unrighteousness and just the the wicked depravity of those early Gentile nations, in Romans chapter 1, what in the world would cause people to do such abominable and just horrible things? Well, Romans 1 tells us, Romans 1 verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. 
Amen. As long as I'm doing what I want rather than what pleases and honors the God who made me, then I'm not going to love what God says and I'm not even going to love Him. A failure to love the truth is a failure to love the One who gave us the truth. You know, you can say, I love God all you want. You can sing, oh, how I love Jesus until you are blue in the face. But until you love the truth that the Lord has provided through His written Word, then all that talk and all that jabbering, it's all just a bunch of hot air. I must have a fervent love for the truth. That's where all of this needs to begin. Secondly then, yes, I do need to know some stuff. Learning the truth must naturally motivate me to do the work that is necessary to know and understand and master truth. And so, for example, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Pretty famous passage. And I want you to notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, just the number of, of verbs, the number of action words that are used here that really press upon us the importance of knowing the truth. In 2 Timothy 2 and in verse 15, Paul says here, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. King James uses the word study. I like that a lot. New King James uses the expression be diligent. That is, you need to be diligent to read and meditate upon God's Word. And then that word in the middle of the verse, to be a worker. You know what it means to be a worker, don't you? You go to your job, you put in work. That means you put in the time and the effort. You put some muscle into it. That's what we need to do with the Scriptures. Put in the effort so that we can then know the truth. We'll be able to then be a right handler of the truth. Loving the truth must lead to knowing the truth. And I need you to understand this morning that this this is God's expectation for every Christian, you, you have an obligation to know the truth. Now, why am I emphasizing that? Well, the reason I emphasize that this morning is because there is a tendency, it seems, to kind of pass that responsibility off to to others. Think about it. In the denominational world, if someone has a question about religious matters or somebody needs to know something about religious things, Many churches today do not encourage the idea of thinking for yourself or investigating for yourself. And so whenever a question does come up about doctrine or about truth, what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to go to the clergy. You're supposed to go to the pastor. You're supposed to go to the priest. You go to the guy who's been to the seminary. You go talk to the guy who's got all kinds of degrees on his wall in theology and Greek and Hebrew and so forth. You go to them and they'll tell you they know the truth. They've put the time and effort in to know and understand the truth. And unfortunately, that's not just true out there. Sometimes that is true even amongst us. I'm afraid that some folks have just decided that the job, that the very job of preachers and elders is to just be their personal encyclopedia of truth. I'll just go and I'll ask them. I'll just go and defer all of that stuff to them. I'll let them figure it all out because that's their job. Knowing the truth, that's not really my job. Yet the Bible says repeatedly that knowing the truth is your job. 
Can I run some passages to emphasize that? Go all the way back to the Old Testament again. Look in Deuteronomy 6. This has always been the case. This is not just a new covenant thing. This has always been the case for God's people. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, read with me beginning in verse 6. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6, Moses says to the people of Israel, he says, these words, these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You, you shall teach them diligently to your children, etc., etc. Moses does not say to the people, now you all, you all don't worry about knowing and studying and understanding the Word of God because we've got all these priests here. We've got the leaders of all the tribes and the clans. They'll take care of that. They'll take care of all that truth stuff. No. No. Moses says, you, you individual Israelite man, you individual Israelite woman, you need to know the truth. Flash forward a few hundred years. Look in the book of Nehemiah now. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we'll be reading this this week in our Bible reading. In Nehemiah chapter 8, as the people of God are now trying to return to the Lord, and they're trying to do what's right once again. As we come to this great Watergate revival in Nehemiah chapter 8, read with me beginning in verse 5. The Bible says that Ezra opened up the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and... All the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, bowed heads, worship to the Lord. Verse 8 now. And they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. I want you to notice it says all the people. That includes the young and that includes the old. Everybody needed to know and everybody needed to understand the truth of God's Word. Don't just rely on Ezra. Don't just rely on Nehemiah with all of that knowledge. You, you take personal responsibility to have a knowledge and understanding of the truth. And you know what? We see that pattern continue right on through the New Testament. Would you look in Romans, please? In Romans 16. In Romans chapter 16, one of the big takeaways that I want everybody to take away today is just how often the Bible and the New Testament says to just regular Ordinary Christians, people who do not hold any kind of special office within the church, regular ordinary Christians, you must know the truth. In Romans chapter 16, look in verse 17. In Romans 16 verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers. In fact, that term there is the word for brothers and sisters. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. You, brother. You, sister. You have an obligation to know whenever somebody's doing things that are contrary to the doctrines that are according with truth. In Corinthians now, if you just flip over a page in 1 Corinthians 2. In 1 Corinthians 2, look in verse 4. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, Paul says that my speech and my message, they were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that, notice this, that your faith, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says you have a responsibility to make sure that your faith is built on truth and not on human wisdom. In Galatians now, in Galatians chapter 1, In Galatians 1, this is that passage where Paul just begins the letter kind of with just a ball of fire. He rebukes folks here for turning away to this other gospel. And I want you to notice that as Paul issues that rebuke, he does not lay the blame on the elders 
of those churches in Galatia. Now, you elders, you just dropped the ball there, and that's why people are believing another gospel. No, in Galatians 1, as Paul addresses brothers and sisters in the churches of Galatia, he says in verse 6, I am astonished that you, in fact, maybe in Kentucky parlance, I am astonished that y'all, I'm astonished that y'all are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It's about, it's about my responsibility. Now I certainly understand that when we talk about elders in a local church, elders do have a responsibility to shepherd the flock of God and to guard for ravenous wolves who might enter in. And I understand as well that for me as a preacher, I have a duty to proclaim the whole counsel of God and be devoted to sound teaching. I get all of that. But it is of interest to me that neither in Galatians nor Corinthians, or Romans, or anywhere else in the New Testament. Nowhere does it say, hey, you regular members, you just regular brothers and sisters in Christ, you all you all just don't be concerned with all that truth stuff. You just let the elders handle all that. Let the preachers handle all that. Let the teachers know all the truth. They'll take care of all that. The rest of you all, you all just don't worry about any of that. No. In the New Testament... Every child of God is charged with knowing the truth. In fact, if you don't know the truth, try Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, if you don't know the truth, you might find yourself on the receiving end of a sharp rebuke like the one the Hebrew writer gave. In Hebrews chapter 5, look in verse 11. In Hebrews 5 and in verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't don't want to be told that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be lacking in my knowledge of the truth. Good. Then what you need to do then is you need to grow up. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. You need to grow. That's why there's so much that's said in the Bible about growing. And one of the ways that we attain spiritual maturity is by growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Let me just kind of add right here, it's a very direct and personal note, that for a congregation that does not presently have elders, shepherds over the flock, how much greater then is the need for every single member to know the truth and not be reliant on someone or any one person to know the truth? Case in point, look in 2 John, please. In 2 John, notice the personal responsibility that you and I have to be able to distinguish truth from error. In 2 John, chapter only one chapter in 2 John, in 2 John, beginning in verse 7, John says that many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Verse 9, 
Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. But if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Those are strong words. And once again, I want you to notice, they're not just addressed to the leadership in the local congregation. No, those words are addressed to every single disciple. God's people must know the truth. And so, what do you know? What do you know of this big critter that we call the truth? Can you explain to someone the basic message of the gospel? Are you able to do that? Can you give an answer to someone as to why you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If someone comes to you and they say that baptism, ah, baptism is not really necessary for salvation, can you walk them through and explain to them why that's not true? If someone comes to you and they say, hey, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can never ever be lost. Are you able to show that person some passages of Scripture to show them and lead them to see that that's not right, that that's not true? What do you know? What do you know about things like instrumental music or about women preachers? What do you know about the various doctrines that go around about marriage and divorce and remarriage? What do you know about things of of a premillennial nature, things about the rapture and things of that nature? What do you know about any of the other false doctrines that permeate our culture and our time today? You know, don't you? You need to know the truth. Loving the truth. Yes, that's where it's got to begin. But that love then needs to push us to do the work necessary to know the truth. Because once we then know the truth, my friends, we must, we must say something. Fighting for truth in an age of fake and false, that means that ultimately, when the time is right, and I realize there may be an occasion where it's not the right time, but there comes a moment where we need to speak up. That we're going to teach it. We're going to talk it. That we're going to take it outside of these four walls so that we can then speak the truth to a lost and dying world. And the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, that's really, that's the hard part of the equation. That really is the hard one, I think, of those three. Because if somebody is saying things like, you know, you can just accept Jesus into your heart and you can be saved by faith only. Well, then, then hey, that's, that's no skin off my back. I know that that's not true. I don't believe that. But you know what? If that's what he believes, well, well, that's his problem. He's going to have to answer to God for that someday. If he wants to go around and rattling all that off, well, then so be it. It's a free country. You can say whatever you want to say. Or if somebody comes along and they say, well, you know, the reason you all down there, the reason you all don't use instruments in your worship is because back in frontier days, churches of Christ, they didn't have enough money to be able to afford an organ, and that's why you guys don't use music in your worship. Well, when I hear that, I know that that's fake news. You know that that's fake news. But hey, who wants to say anything about that? Who wants to stir up a big religious argument and a big old debate with somebody? If somebody's going around and saying things like, you know, the Bible's full of all kinds of contradictions. If somebody says, you know what, Jesus, He didn't really rise from the dead. If somebody says, you know what, it doesn't really matter where you go to church because all churches are the same. Hey, I don't want to say something and create a big fuss. It's just a whole lot easier for me to just say nothing. You need to understand this morning 
that silence is not an option. You have an obligation. I have an obligation to speak up for the Lord. In fact, that's Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, look with me there in verse 15. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 15, Paul says there as he talks about the body, he says in Ephesians 4.15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Speak the truth in love. you got to say something. you got to say it in the right way. In fact, I can actually show you an example of that. In Galatians chapter 2, just fall back a couple of pages to Galatians chapter 2. Here he is speaking the truth in love. Here it is in action. In Galatians chapter 2, look with me beginning in verse 11. In Galatians 2 and in verse 11, Paul says that when Cephas, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James and he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, they acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said, I spoke, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul believed that Peter's soul was at stake here. And so he stepped in and he stepped up to speak words of truth. And we need to think about that. We need to be ready to do that very same thing. When a brother or a sister is acting hypocritically, What are we supposed to do? If a fellow Christian's life is not lining up with the teaching of Scripture, what are we supposed to do? If a member of this local body is not walking in step with the truth, what are we supposed to do? Well, if I love the truth, and if I know the truth, then there's only one logical conclusion. I must speak the truth. Look in Romans chapter 15, please. In Romans 15, Paul actually tells us, here's the purpose for you being filled up with this love and knowledge for the truth. It's not just so that you're all filled up and you walk around and you're all puffed up and you're just better than everybody else. There's a reason why you need to be filled up with that stuff. In Romans 15, look in verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge... So that you are able to instruct, some passages actually, or some translations actually say, to admonish one another. The reason I am filled up with truth is so that I can then speak that, say that, admonish one another. Now I will admit that speaking the truth, that is not always easy. Because not only does it take a love and a knowledge to do that, but it takes courage It takes some wisdom to be able to speak the truth and to do that in a loving way. You know, the easy thing to do, it's a whole lot easier to just kind of gossip about Brother Jones and about his immoral behavior that he's engaged in on the weekends. A whole lot easier to do that than it is to actually go to Brother Jones and say, Hey, brother, what's going on here? I see some things in your life and they don't seem to be matching up with what Scripture teaches. Or you know what? It's a whole lot easier to let your atheist co-worker 
who's in the break room every day just ragging and railing on God and the Bible and just tearing it all down. It's a whole lot easier to just say nothing than it is to speak up and say, Hey, buddy, that's not right. I'm not going to sit here and let you just keep saying these kinds of things without saying something in response. I realize that that is not easy to do. But that is our obligation. That is our obligation to the Lord and our obligation to the Lord's truth. We must be ready to speak the truth. Now, I need to put a caveat here with that. Would you find 1 Timothy 6? In 1 Timothy 6, this is really important. Because yes, we are going to speak the truth. And maybe you preach a sermon like this, people get really excited. Yeah, let's go out there and let's speak the truth to people. But I want you to understand... This does not mean that we are going to become heresy hunters. You understand what I mean by that? It seems like we have a tendency to kind of run to extremes here. Either we never say anything ever at any time to anyone in any circumstance. That's one extreme. Or we run to the other end of the spectrum and suddenly we've got to say something about everything. And as a result, we get to the point where we are micro-analyzing every single comment that gets made in the Bible class. And we start parsing every single word of the prayer that was offered by the brother. And we start putting all the lyrics of the hymns that we sing right under this big electron scanning microscope. We are looking for something to take an issue with. In short, we nitpick. Maybe we do that because it makes us feel more righteous and makes us feel superior. makes us feel good when we can catch somebody. But I'm going to tell you, we need to be careful about that. Because that does not serve the cause of truth. Paul warns about it here in 1 Timothy 6. Look at what he says in verse 4. He talks about the person who is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He says he has an unhealthy craving for controversy. And for quarrels about words, which just produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people. We don't want to be that guy. In fact, let me add to that what Jude says. Look in the tiny book of Jude, in Jude chapter 1. Jude is the guy who says something about how we need to fight. That we do need to fight, or maybe your translation says we need to contend. But I want you to notice in Jude chapter 1, Jude does not say that we're going to contend for what my grandpa always said the way things ought to be. Jude does not say we're going to contend for what makes me feel the most comfortable. Jude does not say we're going to contend for our own personal conscience about matters of personal opinion. No, Jude says in Jude 1 verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That is what we are contending for. We are contending and fighting for the faith. And so what I need to be asking myself is I need to be asking, is this a matter of the faith? Or is this just a matter of my personal preference? Is this a matter of truth? Or is this just a matter of some tradition that I've just long been comfortable with? Listen to me very clearly here. Do I have book, chapter, and verse... Or is all I have a bunch of I thinks and I believes and in my opinions? 
We need to be able to separate what God says from the conclusions that I have reached about what God says. Because once we have separated those things out, then when I see something that is sinful being practiced, or whenever I hear something that is an error being taught, then yes, I want to have the boldness, I want to have the wisdom, and I want to have the love to stand up and to say, that's wrong. That's not true. This is what the Bible says. We need to stand on truth. That's tough. And I'm sure you can see why it is that people often do want to just dump all that responsibility on elders or on preachers. Because it is hard. It is hard to wisely and boldly and carefully speak the truth in love. But this right here, this is the responsibility of all of us. If you wear the name of Jesus Christ, this this is in your job description. This is who we are. To advance the cause of truth by loving it and knowing it and speaking it even in an age when people prefer the fake and the false. And so, did you hear? Did you hear the latest news? Brad Pitt and Angelina, they are moving to Berea, Kentucky. It was in the news. But apparently they're also moving to Louisiana and Rhode Island and lots of other small towns. That, that is fake. Or did you read the story about the orangutan who gave birth to a human baby? Can you believe that? That story is fake. Or what about the study that found that hurricanes named after women, they cause more deaths because people don't take them as seriously. Wow, can you believe that? No, I can't believe that because that also is fake. Or did you hear? Did you hear the news that if you want to be saved, all you have to do is just invite Jesus into your heart and then pray that sinner's prayer? Once again... That is fake news. Why do people believe nonsense such as that? They believe it because they do not love the truth. And since they do not love the truth, they do not investigate to come to a knowledge of the truth, which means then furthermore that they do not speak, nor do they practice, nor do they defend the truth. I would sure hope that that would not describe anybody in this good audience this morning. I would like to think that I am talking to a room full of people who are truth seekers and truth lovers and yes, truth defenders. And it is my prayer that by the things that we've talked about this morning, that God's Word has impressed upon each and every one of you, because it certainly has me, that I have an obligation personally and individually to fight for truth The truth that Jesus says will set men free. Now having said all of that, I do recognize that there are people in this number this morning who are not yet a part of the family of God. I want you to understand that God still still is speaking to you. And He is still calling you. He is calling you to come to Him and to receive the forgiveness of your sins by His grace and by His mercy. And yes, the truth is a big part of that. In fact, I'll borrow what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. 
What the Lord is calling you to do today is He is calling upon you to purify your soul in obedience to the truth. Can we help somebody this morning to obey the truth by confessing the truth that Jesus is indeed the Son of God? By repenting, turning from sin and turning to God. That is what God says you must do. That's truth. And then yes, by being united with Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins. That is Bible. That is gospel. That is truth. And we stand ready to help you to do just that today so that you can rise out of that water a new creature, a Christian. You can begin serving the Lord and you can get in this fight to defend and protect the truth. If there's anybody here today who needs to respond to the gospel, who needs to obey the truth, then would you seize upon this moment right now? Make your way to the front while we stand and while we sing.